Welcome back to Cancer Perspective. Thank you for joining us. Most cancers have an awareness month. January is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. Cervical cancer is cancer of the cervix, not to be confused with cervical spine or C-spine. If you had a primary cancer in your C-spine, which is the first seven vertebrae in the top of your body, right beneath your skull, you would have a primary bone cancer. The cervix is what connects a vagina to a uterus. Cancer in that area is called cervical cancer. Most of those cancers arise from the squamous cells, but there are types of adenocarcinomas of the cervix. Luckily, we have screenings for cervical cancer. Most people with the cervix visit a gynecologist at some point and have a pap smear. Pap smears identify dysplasias or abnormal developing cells that can develop into a cancer. We also now have a great tool within our toolbox. We have a vaccine that can help prevent very specific types of cervical cancers that start from the HPV or human papillomavirus. The HPV vaccine, which we can talk in detail about in another episode, needs to be given at a fairly young age. For various reasons, HPV vaccines are given to both male and female. The first dose can be given as early as nine years old. The routine vaccine is between 11 and 12 years old. There is a catch-up where some people may qualify at the ages between 13 and 26. However, most people after the age of 26 will not qualify for the vaccine. It is estimated that about 85% of people will get HPV or a viral infection in their lifetime and vaccinating all 11 or 12-year-olds can protect them long before they are exposed. The CDC recommends two doses of HPV vaccine for all adolescents age 11 or 12. There are other causes of cervical cancer, and those who may be unvaccinated are at higher risk. The goal is to screen for cervical cancer to find those precancerous cells when treatment can prevent the actual cancer from developing. So an adult usually starts to see a gynecologist for their pap smears between the ages of 21 and 29 years old, even if one is not sexually active by that time. And the recommendation is for pap testing at least every three years with the HPV test every five years at least. You may require more frequent screening if you do have a high-risk condition such as HIV positive or a weakened immune system or a previously abnormal cervical screen test or biopsy or, of course, if you've had cervical cancer in the past. So what happens if you come up with an abnormal screening? The next step is usually what they call a colposcopy. 
A colposcopy is a procedure that looks more closely at the cervix and the top of the vagina. It can be used to diagnose cancer, precancerous tissues, and inflammation, and hopefully at that point, removal of the precancerous or cancerous lesion. Cervical cancer symptoms include abnormal vaginal bleeding, including after intercourse, vaginal bleeding after menopause, vaginal discharge that has a very unusual order and may contain blood, and pelvic pain. Advanced cervical cancer can cause difficult or painful bowel movements, painful urination, dull backache, swelling of the abdomen or the legs, feeling extra tired. These are all very vague symptoms and why particularly people who are older have a higher risk of finding cancer at a more advanced stage. So when they do the colposcopy, they may biopsy, they may excise the lesion, may use electrosurgical excision, and then when they identify that it is cancer, you will likely need to undergo additional testing to assure that it has remained only in that area. That includes the PET scans or PET, positron admission tomography scan, that's the one that used nuclear dye to identify very fast-growing cells or active cells. This is the one that shows lights and malignant tumors show up brighter or light up like a Christmas tree. There's CT scans that can use a different type of dye injected in the vein or swallowed to show other types of tissues very closely. The MRI, or magnetic resonance imaging, uses the magnet to make a detailed picture or an ultrasound, particularly a pelvic ultrasound, which is using an ultrasound wand through the vagina. You may need a chest x-ray to check out what is going on in the chest area. Lab tests include your complete blood count to make sure that you are not anemic from blood loss. And the blood chemistry study, or the CMP, complete metabolic panel that evaluates your kidney and liver and electrolytes. Other scopes include cystoscopy, and that's cystoscopy, or looking into the bladder and urethra or the sigmoidoscopy, which is looking inside the rectum, all to get a good picture within that lower pelvic region. According to the American Cancer Society, there are about 14,000 new cases of invasive cervical cancer diagnosed in 2022, and about 4,200 of people will die from cervical cancer in 2022. The highest rates of cervical cancer are women ages 35 to 44, but more than 15% of new cases are in women aged 65 and older. When cervical cancer is diagnosed at an early age, the five-year relative survival rate is about 92%. When cervical cancer is diagnosed after it is spread to nearby tissues, organs, or regional lymph nodes, the five-year survival rate is lowered to 
When cervical cancer has spread to distant parts of the body, the five-year survival rate is about 18%. Overall, the 14,000 potential people diagnosed with cervical cancer in 2022, their relative survival rate, all of them, is about 66%. We are expecting the rates to improve significantly with the HPV vaccine rates improving. So cervical cancer can be treated in all the ways that we've discussed before. You can have surgery, those biopsies and excisions, those are surgeries. You can have radiation. Radiation can be both external and internal where you may need to have a time when radiation rods are placed inside the vagina or rectal area in order to treat very close to the disease site. For those who have cancer that spread a little more distantly, chemotherapy might be appropriate to go from head to toe to reach the microscopic cells and destroy them. Fortunately, research is also improving options for targeted therapies and immunotherapies. Clinical trials may very well be an option to help further those studies. When I say surgeries, surgery could include a full hysterectomy that can contribute to a person's post-cervical cancer recovery. Surgery may have included a complete radical hysterectomy or a modified radical hysterectomy. That may mean you have taken the ovaries, fallopian tubes, lymph nodes, or more. That contributes to a person's ability to have children and may also contribute to a person's sense of who they are. Anybody who loses a part of their body that they identify with, this can be extremely traumatic. The hormones that you could potentially lose with more radical surgeries also play a part in your overall health and feeling of well-being. If you are all of a sudden put into a postmenopause state, you can have issues with hot flashes, night sweats, dry vagina, and painful sex that may not have been there before. You could have thinning of the bones because of lack of hormones, and you'll need to understand what that recovery looks like. Recovery could include vaginal dilators to help recovery. Radiation can have some long-term effects in that area too as far as affecting bladder or rectal health as well. Chemotherapy may have included drugs that cause neuropathies or long-term effects on your bone marrow, including your anemia. Your team will help decide what is the best clinical course to follow, and your voice, of course, is going to be important. Questions to include are, what are my long-term implications for this? What are the long-term side effects? Do you still want to have children? Should you harvest your eggs in order to have options for children in the future? These are all extremely important questions. The cervical cancer ribbon, and when we see cancer ribbons, is represented by the colors of both teal and white. 
Sometimes we see it as just teal, but the most appropriate one is teal and white together. So in summary, risk factors for cervical cancer include the human papillomavirus or HPV infection, a sexual history that includes becoming sexually active at a young age, having multiple sexual partners that could expose you to more viruses, or having one partner who's considered high risk, such as somebody with HIV or HPV. Smoking is considered a risk factor for cancers of the pelvic area, including the bladder and the cervix. Women who smoke are about twice as likely as those who don't smoke to get cervical cancer. Another risk factor is having a weakened immune system, such as HIV, the virus that causes AIDS, taking drugs to suppress your immune system, or being treated for an autoimmune disease that might potentially allow a foreign germ or virus to attack any of the organs. Having a history of chlamydia puts a person at higher risk. Long-term use of oral contraceptives or birth control pills. Having multiple full-term pregnancies because of being more susceptible to the HPV infection and being young with the first pregnancy. Many in the low-income bracket who don't have easier access to healthcare services, including pap smears and cancer screening tests and HPV tests and vaccines, are also considered at high risk. As always, a diet that includes fruits and vegetables are considered important to help the body maintain strength and fight against potential cancer. In addition, risk factors may include being exposed to diethylstilbestrol, or DES. That was a hormone drug that was given to women until 1971 to prevent miscarriage. So older women born of these mothers that were given the DES during pregnancy have been known to have a higher risk of cervical cancer. There is a genetic potential link, too, so having a family history of cervical cancers could put you at higher risk. According to the American Cancer Society, an intrauterine device, or IUD use, has been seen to lower the risk of cervical cancers. Of course, women with multiple sexual partners should use condoms to lower risk of sexually transmitted illnesses and viruses. Cervical cancer can be prevented if we can find the precancers early by using the pap test and the HPV test, getting the HPV vaccine, and limiting exposure to HPV. Using condoms and not smoking can help prevent disease. A well-balanced diet and seeing healthcare regularly are also recommended. For more information on cervical cancer, the American Cancer Society is always my go-to place at cancer.org, coping with cervical cancer at cancer.gov. Thank you for joining us on our first Cancer Awareness Month that included cancer of the cervix. Wear your teal and white and show your support. Take care and spread kindness.